Good evening, everybody. All right. Grab your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Also, while you're turning, reach over to Isaiah chapter 6 and uh, put your marker right there, maybe an envelope, throw an envelope in there, something just to marker. If you've got one of those little uh, stringy dilly things, you know what I'm talking about? These deals right here. I don't know what you call them. I thought, I thought that was a scientific term, stringy dilly thing. Um, <laughs> uh, go ahead and put that in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read one verse in James. We'll back up in a few minutes and read a couple of more verses. But we'll start with verse 26. And then uh, we'll, uh, I'll kind of introduce our topic for today. If anyone among you, among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. James has really been speaking to me this year so far. There's a lot of great things in this letter. I tell people all the time, if you just want to read one book and get a lot of stuff out of it, James is a great writer and he tells it like it is. Uh, you can understand what he's saying. Um, you, you don't need 14 commentaries and a degree in uh, theology to be able to understand him like sometimes uh, like the Apostle Paul. E even Peter says the Apostle Paul is hard to understand. Um, but James, you can understand, you can read, and he's really been speaking to me this year. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night <clears throat> about the untamable tongue, and I want to continue in that. We'll go with, we'll call it part two tonight. Get that. That was part one. This has turned into part two. Um, we talked about four things, four incredible things about the tongue that James gives us in chapter three. Number one, the tongue is disproportionately powerful. Remember, he compares it, first of all, to a bit in a horse's mouth and how a small piece of metal can control a massive animal. Then he compares it to the rudder on a ship and how a small rudder can steer a large ship. And then the third thing he compares it to is a spark and how just a spark can cause a wildfire, a forest fire. And, and so he compares it to these things and he talks about how the tongue is disproportionately powerful. And in your life, just the little bitty thing in your, uh, one of the uh, little thing in your mouth can co control so much of your life and either cause you lots of problems or create life and a future for you. And so, so he says it's disproportionately powerful. The second thing is, he says it is inherently evil. Meaning, um, your tongue came set on the evil setting. Y'all remember, uh, I think it was the latest Toy Story. I don't know if y'all have watched all the Toy Stories. I have kids, so I've seen them a billion times. But I think it was the latest one where somewhere along the way, they switch Buzz Lightyear over to the Spanish setting. Have y'all seen that one? And he's, and he's speaking in Spanish, and he's doing the dance of love and all that stuff. And they're trying to get him back on the right setting so they can talk to him. Um, it, the, it, the truth is, our tongues came set to evil. You didn't do anything to cause them to evil. Oh, you may have prolonged it. You may have made it worse. But they came evil. So that's the second thing. The third thing was, uh, he tells us that the, the tongue is humanly untamable. 
You didn't make it, you can't tame it. But God made it, therefore he can tame it. Um, he spoke, we, we went back and talked to about how Moses, he, he said to Moses, who made your tongue, who made your mouth? I did, therefore uh, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. So, so God can tame it. But fourthly, uh, the tongue is a productive piece of our life. Whatever you're doing with your mouth, it will produce. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So, so whichever one, whatever you're speaking, it is going to produce something in your life. But uh, we have to allow God to tame it uh, in order for it to, uh, to, to release life in, into uh, our worlds. Uh, then Sunday we, we continued talking kind of along the same matter about prophesying. And I have been prophesying all week over this church, over you, over our lives. Um, and then, uh, of course, a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about adversity, how, Paul, how James writes, uh, consider it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. Uh, consider it joy. It may not feel like joy or look like joy or smell like joy or taste like joy, but set your mind to consider that it's joy. So we pick up now in James chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to back up in a few minutes to, chap- to verse 19 and 20, but at verse 26... Um, but when we now let's remember the the main subject that he's opening his letter with the main subject that he opens his letter with is the the subject of facing trials you will face trials okay so this is his opening subject that he begins writing this letter about uh, and then he be, so he tells us how we should set our minds. Uh, he, should, he tells us that you're going to face it, count it joy. Uh, and, and he tells us that God is working something in us. And then he goes on to, to give us, uh, to talk to us about loving God even in the midst of trials. You're going to face trials, but never stop loving God all the way through it because God is working something in you. So don't stop loving Him. Then he gives us some qualities that we need while we're going through trials. And we'll talk about those in a minute. Then he teaches us to be doers and not doers of the word and not hearers only. So as you're walking through trials, be a doer of the word. Listen, when you're going through difficult times, that is the most important time that you need to be a doer of the word. So he's challenging us here. And in the context of this, one of the ways he is teaching us to be a doer of the word is he says in verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. So remember, he's, this is the context of being a doer of the word, specifically, all the time, but specifically as you're walking through trials. Are you with me? <clears throat> this is a fascinating scripture to me uh, in verse 26. Uh, because he talks about bridling of the tongue. That, that we must bridle the tongue. And, and I find this fascinating because as we talked about, and I just shared with you again from chapter 3, he says the tongue is, the tongue is untamable. The, the actual uh, verse says that no man ever has or, or, or ever will tame the tongue. It is untamable by man. But now he's saying if you think you're religious but you don't bridle your tongue then this one's religious is useless so how in the world what are we talking about here James we can't tame it but we're supposed to bridle it this make does this raise questions to anybody else what are you talking about here well let's look a little deeper to bridle this this greek word used here and i was going to say it to you but it's a, literally about this long and i just decided you know what 
It's not worth it. So just trust me. It's about this long. It's in Greek. You can look it up if you want to. But it literally means to lead or guide, to hold in check, or to restrain. So remember, I, I held the bridle up here to you, and I talked to you about how the bit goes in the horse's mouth and uh, it goes around its head. But then there are two reins that go up to the, the rider's hand. And by the, because of the bridle, you, what you are actually doing is keeping the horse in check to make sure he's doing what you want him to do. And you are restraining him to go where you want him to go and not where he wants to go. Now, I've been on a few horses that refused to be bridled. And they went where they wanted to go and not where I wanted them to go. This is not fun. Uh, th this is not one of the, one of the uh, fun times in my life. When we first got into horses, now, uh, years later, as, as we have... Uh, especially my father, but uh, in the t when I've been involved as we've uh, worked on uh, breeding better horses and, and upgrading our, the, the horses that we're riding and training them better and learning better, we've got a much better uh, horse that we're working with now. It's no problem. Uh, they're automatic, as Dad says. But when we first got in, these horses, they were about half dumb. Okay, can I just be honest with you? They were just, you know, they, they were not a lot smarter than the chair you're sitting on right now. But one thing they knew is uh, you'd be when you stuck out on a trail ride. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You got a horse like that. Don't tell it. <laughs> you do. Okay. When you take out away from the barn on the trail ride, you about have to kick them and beat them to make them go. I mean, you just go, and they walk so slow. Just. Just, I mean, just, you know, God, you just, come on, let's go, let's pick up the pace, this is boring, you know, and, uh, and they'll walk, and they're always trying to turn, and you got to keep them restrained to be walking, and then all of a sudden, on these, my first horse's name was Shiloh, it was, a, it was a, a, a Pasifino, which was kind of a, what's called a walking horse, and they had this really smooth gait, and like literally, you could, you could drink coffee when they got in their gait, and they'd be cruising along, and you could drink coffee on, on their back, they were that smooth, but man, did not like to go away from the barn and so you'd have to I mean come on let's go let's go let's go this is boring I'm ready to do something I want to I want to jump a ditch or I want to you know run a barrel I, I just want to do something you can't make them do anything but the moment you allow them to turn and face the barn again you can be two miles away it didn't matter but when they knew they were facing the barn it was like you lit a fire under them and they were gone and there was no, you mean you'd be yanking on the reins and yanking their head around. They were headed for the barn where the food was and where they knew you were going to get this saddle off their back. They were gone. There was no restraining these jokers. So when you made the turn to go home, you better be ready because you're in for a ride. It's pretty dangerous, actually, because, I mean, you know, these, these things will run through ditches and fences and and, uh, you know, one time uh, Kara was riding my horse, Shiloh, and, uh, and he drug her right down the side of the barn and banged up her, her leg all the way down. Bang, 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 all the way down the side of the barn. And uh, Dad caught the horse and got her off, and she was crying. It was, it was not good for the horse. He, he learned a lesson that day. And uh, <laughs> he didn't do that anymore. Uh, good horse. I love my horse, Shiloh. Uh, but, you know, we, we've learned that... Uh, if you don't have a horse that is bridled, they can cause you problems in your life. But here's the, here's the thing. Here's the picture that, that, that I began to realize as I put these two scriptures together. Bridling versus taming. Putting a bridle on a horse doesn't tame him. 
But once he's tamed, a bridle can be used to guide him or constrain him. Now, I've had a, a little bit of experience with, with uh, breaking horses, what we call breaking horses, which is when you take, they've never had a saddle put on them, and you put a saddle on them and drain them and uh, teach them to hold a rider. The first time, again, was very on in our uh, onset of getting horses and learning. And uh, when my grandfather died, he had a little horse that was just about ready to be trained, and he gave it to us. Uh, to, to dad and I, so me and dad and my cousin Aaron go out and decide we're going we're gonna to break this thing. Uh, breaking is an old cowboy term that literally means get on them and let them buck until you break their will and know that you're the boss, okay? Now, we don't train horses like that very often anymore, uh, at least we don't. We go through a much slower process and break them gently, so there's not a lot of bucking, but, in, but at this time, that's not how we did it. So I uh, cowboyed up. And I, and I climbed up on this horse. I was about 11 or 12 years old. And sure enough, you know, the thing went to bucking. He doesn't know. There's something on his back. It doesn't make any sense. He's not tamed yet. And I'm trying to make the bridle work. And I'm pulling and saying, you're going to go here and you're going to go there. And he's saying, I don't think so, sucker. And he goes to bouncing and kicking and rearing. And, you know, he, he chunked Aaron. Then he chunked me. And then, you know, Aaron and I, Aaron was a couple years older than me. And he, he says, I'm not getting kicked off this horse again. I'm not getting bucked off this horse again. We're going to break this thing right here, right now. And so I'm like, let's do it, man. Let's go. You know, we're all pumped up. You know, we're bleeding and hurting and bruised. We're like, you know, we're, like, we're going to do this thing. We're cowboys, man, you know. And so we, Aaron climbs up the horse. I'll never forget. It's one of the scariest moments of my life on, on a horse. Uh, I wasn't on it, but he was on it. And, and man, this joker goes to bucking and kicking again. He wasn't trying to be mean. He just wasn't tamed. He was doing what he thought to do. And so he goes to bucking and kicking and rearing. And, and I mean, it's, man, the, you know, the dust is flying. Just like you've seen John Wayne. I mean, it's just like, yeah. And I'm like, woo, woo, woo. Yeah, you got him. You got him. And, and you know, and I, you know I, I'm, you know, we're pumping each other up. And, and uh, Aaron is not going to let go. I mean, he ain't caring about the reins anymore. He is holding on because he's going to prove to this horse. I can hold on and you know and and uh, he's so he's locked down this horse is going and suddenly the horse rears but Aaron's not letting go so Aaron's leaning into him like you're supposed to when he rears he's leaning in, leaning into him and um suddenly the horse now he's a young horse okay so he he rears up and all of a sudden he gets a little too far okay think about if you had a you know 100-pound person on your back, you know, when you're leaning forward, you might can hold them. But if you lean a little too far back, what's about to happen to you? You're going over. And suddenly, it's like it went in slow motion. This is a true story. And Dad and I realized this horse is going over, but Aaron hasn't realized it yet. And this horse begins to fall backwards. Now, remember, there is, um, probably at this time, the horse probably weighed eight, nine hundred, a 900,000 pounds coming down. Aaron might weigh 100 pounds soaking wet. He might weigh 110 today at 35 years old. He's, uh, uh, but he's a skinny guy, and, this, and there's a saddle horn literally coming right at his chest. Now, can you imagine if a horn about this big around hit you square in the chest with an 800-pound animal falling directly on you, and you don't have anywhere to go because you're on the ground? This is scary. Thankfully. Aaron realizes it and rolls out from under the horse as he's coming down, and he lands on the ground, and the horse lands right beside him. It was scary. At that point, Dad said, you are done breaking this animal. (laughs) We're going to get some experts involved here. Um, But what we realized in that, that was the first horse I broke, and then later on we did it much better, and I didn't get bucked off anymore. Um, But what we realized is 
that just putting a bridle and a saddle on a horse does not make them tame. It doesn't. They have to be tamed and broken, and then the bridle will actually do you some good. So here's the principle that James is telling us. No man can tame the tongue, but once God tames your tongue, it's up to us to bridle it. Because the horse can be tame. He can go out in the pasture and get one dad's best cutting horse right now. And, and, you can, and you can jump up on that horse, but if you don't have a bridle on him, he's still going to go wherever he wants to go. Now, he's tame. The, the trainers have done their job. Everybody, you know, he'll go where you want him to go, but you do have to bridle him. And if you don't bridle him, you know where he's going? Right to the feed bucket in the barn. True story. <laughs> That's where he's going. Because you didn't bridle him. So here's, here's the principle, now, and I want you to get what, what James is saying to us, because we're going to build on the topic that we've been talking about with the, with the tongue here. Uh, yes, we can't tame it. It's up to God to tame it and, and, and get a hold of this thing. But then, once he tames it, it's up to me and you to bridle our tongues, to constrain it and restrain it, and say, no, I'm not going to say that this time. No, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. And we have to get a hold of this thing and lead our own mouths and guide our own mouths. It's not enough to say, well, I can do this on my own. Nor is it enough to say, well, the Lord's in control of my mouth and I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> no, it is a combination of both. He tames it. We bridle it. Are you with me? All right. So let's, let's go into this scripture just a little bit more here. Um, He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious. Now, as you study this scripture, theologians disagree on what uh, James is meaning by this term religious. Many of them say, or some of them say, that every time the term religion or religious is used in the Greek and the New Testament has a negative connotation. But many theologians actually say that this, this instance is different. And what he literally means is, uh, it's your serving God. So here's what they're saying. Here, here, here's what most theologians believe uh, that I've studied believe that James is saying. For those of you that think you're doing a good job and are genuinely serving God. How many of you would say that about yourself? I, I think I'm really genuinely serving God. I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just, I'm, I'm doing my best to genuinely serve God. How many of you are freezing right now? Okay, uh, guys, can y'all help us? Everybody's grabbing jackets. I'm freezing. Um, you know, I, I, if somebody can help me back there. Okay, uh, so he, here's the thing. He's not necessarily calling out the bad people, but he's saying to good people, uh, if you think, another version, the, uh, the, the King James Version says, if you seem to be. So if you think you're uh, religious, or, or, or genuinely serving God, or if other people look at you and think that you're genuinely serving God. Okay? That's most of us in this room today. We, we th we're doing our best. We want to serve God. And, and other people look at us and say, yeah, he's trying to serve God. He's genuinely trying uh, to, to serve God and, and doing what he can. Here's what, here's what James is doing. He is identifying his audience. If that's you, that's all of us, here's what he's saying. Uh, if you think you're religious, if you, if you think you're doing a good job at, at serving the Lord, um, but you don't bridle your tongue, then your serving God is useless. 
the, the English Standard Version and the New American Standard Version actually say worthless. So everything that you're doing to do your best to serve God and, and to love God and to be righteous and to, and to be a good person, he's literally saying it is useless because you haven't bridled your tongue. What, what, is, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Uh, the, the, uh, another, the King James says it's, it's vain. It's, you're just doing it in vain. It's not, it's, you're, you're killing yourself. You, you, can, you can generally serve God with all your heart, but not bridle your tongue, and you can cause it all to be worthless. I don't want my serving to be for nothing. Uh, I don't want it to be useless and not translate into my life. I want it to actually translate and to make an impact on the people around me and, and on my life. Uh, my heart may be good, but my mouth is actually canceling it out. Now, you know that I'm a massive sports fan, fan football fan. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been watching a football game and, and your team, you know, is, is down and they need that last touchdown to win the game. And, uh, you know, the quarterback throws the, touch, th- throws the ball, the receiver goes up, over, makes a brilliant catch, comes down, uh, he's inbounds, everything looks great. The crowd goes crazy. You jump up and throw your nachos all over the place and you're screaming and you're, and you're happy and you're excited only to realize that the referee or the umpire threw uh, that yellow little flag. And because one offensive lineman was holding that nobody else saw, but because he was holding, it, it makes the whole play canceled out. And this is what's happening when we're doing our best to serve God, but because we're not bridling our tongue, it's canceling everything out. Would have been a great play. Would have been the game-winning touchdown, but. So I want to learn how to bridle my tongue. Because I, I don't want my, re- my religion to be for naught. How many of you want to learn how to bridle your tongue? All right, I'm going to give you three ways tonight to bridle, bridle your tongue. And I'm, I'm way behind time. Uh, someone took a long time talking about Women's Month. <laughs> so I'm going to try to pick up the pace. Listen, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures over the next few minutes. Don't try to turn to them all. I'm just going to read them to you. They're going to put them on the screens. Read along with me, and we'll go really quick, okay? James chapter 1, let's back up to verse 19. So then, uh, my, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. First way to bridle the tongue is to literally wait, to pause, to slow down before you speak. He says, be quick to hear. Uh, or swift to hear in the New King James, be slow to speak, slow down and wait. Don't even say anything. Just pause for a minute. Just wait. Just wait for a minute. Listen first, speak uh, second. One of the best and most practical ways to, to bridle the tongue is to pause or wait to speak. An old preacher had this acronym, and this is how he thought of it. And he said, wait. And this was his deal, wait. And so the W-A-I-T was an acronym. And this is what it stood for for him. Uh, why am I talking? Think about it. It, it. You know, before I enter into a conversation or answer a question or respond maybe with anger, he asked this question of himself. As he was waiting, he would say, now why am I talking? What good am I about to do right now? 
That's not, some, that's not too bad of advice right there. Ask yourself, why am I talking? Because here's what James says. Notice he says, let every man be swift to hear first, then building upon that, slow to speak. Because if, and, then, and finally, if you do those things, you'll end up being slow to wrath. There is a building process that he's giving us here. Uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, and then slow to wrath. Here is the deal. Those of us who speak too quickly, uh, it tends to lead us to an anger problem. It just does. How many arguments have you gotten into where, if you were being honest, you would say that you got angry because you and the person you were fighting with weren't listening to each other? And you... you You've ever been in a confrontation and, 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 you know, someone completes your sentence and says, oh, I know what you're talking about. And they go on to tell you what they're talking about. He said, that's not even what I'm saying. Why? Because they're not listening. Um, How much anger could have have been avoided in our lives if we were quick to listen and paused before we spoke? How much could we have avoided? Think about it. Think about the last big fight you got in, maybe with your kid, maybe with your spouse, whatever. But how much could you have avoided in that fight if you had been quick to listen? Had asked yourself the question, (laughs) you know, uh, why am I talking? And then been slow to speak. Because talking too fast leads us oftentimes to a place of anger. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Uh, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Notice it's plural there. Not just one trouble, but lots of troubles. I don't want troubles in my life. So one of the ways I avoid troubles is I guard my mouth and my tongue. It's not a guarantee that I'm never going to face trouble, but I'm going to wipe out a big portion of them just by guarding my mouth and my tongue. All right? Uh, Proverbs 10 and 19. This is a good one. In the multitudes of words... Sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Talking too much can find you in a place where sin doth abound. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Uh, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Verse 28. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perspective, pers- perceptive. Uh, uh, I've heard it said like this. It's better to let people think you are a fool than to open your mouth and leave them no doubt. <laughs> right? Uh, so let's go back to verse 19. We'll, we'll move forward. Verse, verse 19. So let my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is qualities that we need, when, especially when we're going through trials. Um, for the wrath of man, verse 20, does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, I want you to, again, take a moment. Think about the last time you got really angry. For whatever reason, angry at somebody, angry at a football team, angry at, 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 uh, at Simon Cowell, what, what, you know, whatever, what, what, you know, the last time you got really, really angry, ask this question. Did you feel really close to God in that moment? Did you say, man, I'm so angry and yet I really love Jesus right now? <laughs> 
I just want to stop and let's, say, let's all take a moment to worship. You know? No! <laughs> no! It doesn't happen that way. Right? Your, your blood is, is pumping. You're, you're getting hot. You're, in, you're angry. You're not thinking about uh, you know, finding your place at the altar and worshiping Jesus. And hey, let's everybody sit down and listen to Pastor Randy with another brilliant message. No, no, no. You're, you're ready to go, man. Because wrath doesn't lead us, doesn't produce the righteousness of God in our lives. The wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Okay, but it's more than that. Because when he talks about the righteousness of God, he's talking about the righteousness of God in our life, but he's also talking about God's agenda in the world. So here's what he's saying. When wrath is, comes when, because we are defending our agenda. Right? You're angry because no one's listening to you. No one did what you wanted them to do or things didn't turn out like you thought they should or uh, someone did something to you and it, it becomes about our agenda. Not saying it's always bad, just saying this is what is happening. So what James is writing to us and he's saying is when, when wrath takes over, it, you're becoming self-centered about your agenda rather than God-centered about His agenda and His righteousness and His plan and, about, and rather than being other-centered, about being generous and giving to others. And, 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 so, and, uh, but, and this goes against the teachings of Jesus and the Word of God. So He's saying, listen, I, I, don't want, I want you to be uh, quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, because if you're not, that means you'll get to anger and wrath very quickly. And then angry people tend to be all about themselves and their own feelings, their own emotions, the way they've been done wrong, the way they've been treated, and not about what God is wanting to do. So stop, freeze, hold your tongue, wait for a minute, pause, first way to bridle your tongue. Second way is simple. I, I just want you to think. Four types of people in the world, are you ready? Th those people that think before they talk. The second type are those people that think while they talk. Third type are people that think after they talk. <laughs> Fourth type, people that don't think at all. They're they just talking. They ain't thinking. They just, what are you talking about? I don't know. I'm just talking. <laughs> right? Four types of people in the world. Those that think before they talk, those that think while they talk, those that think after they talk, and those that just don't think at all. I'm going to be honest with you. My natural tendency, if you've taken the, the life languages profile, my natural tendency is an influencer, and my talking and thinking happen basically simultaneously. All right, you ask me a question. If you've ever asked me a question before that I have to think about, here's what I am prone to doing, and I'm working on this, because I want to be the type of person that thinks first and talks second. But my natural tendency is I'll start talking not having a clue what I'm going to say. I just start talking. And somewhere along the way, I think of something good to say, and I steer the conversation to, or my words to be able to say what's really getting so by the end I sound very smart but when I started I didn't have no idea what I was saying if you if you talk to me long enough you start thinking about this you'll be able to hear when I'm doing that I'm, I'm just talking I'm just and all of a sudden like you think man that was really smart I did not know that when I started talking but I'm working really hard on becoming a person that thinks first and then talks uh, it's, it's, it's really a, a challenge that, that uh, over the last year or so I've really been saying, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think first and respond second. Think about this. In your life, you think with your brain, your mind, and the Bible teaches us you think with your heart. 
We think with our heart. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, not in his brain, but in his heart. Luke chapter 2, verse 19, for those of you that are New Testament people. But Mary kept all these things and pondered. What does pondered mean? Think, thought about them. Pondered them in her heart. So she was thinking about them in her heart. Uh, Verse 35. Uh, Simeon is prophesying over Jesus. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Luke chapter 9, verse 47. This is Jesus now. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, they were thinking it in their heart, not their mind, not even necessarily about what their words were saying. But what they were thinking in their heart, he perceived it, and, and he took a little child and set him by him. Uh, then Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, uh, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, and he's speaking to the scribes now, he's just healed the paralytic, and he says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? In their hearts, they were thinking evil. I'm going to take it a step further for you. Science, there, there are a number of studies And this is not the most widely accepted thing because it's some some new studies here in the last few years. Um, But there have been scientific studies and research done to prove that scientifically we also think with our hearts. And what they've done is they have gone and they have studied people who have had heart transplants. And after a person had the transplant, so now one person has died... And now this person that was sick now has a new heart, but it's someone else's heart. And they have studied how uh, they now know things that they didn't know before. That parts of their personality or, or likes and dislikes have changed to the same thing that the person whose heart it used to be had. For instance, there was a man, an uh, older gentleman, uh, who loved classical music. And uh, a young man died, I believe he died in a motorcycle accident... And this older gentleman got his heart. The young man loved rock and roll music. And shortly after getting out of the hospital, this old man realized he didn't like classical music anymore, but he loved rock and roll. <laughs> Talk about a change in your life. What is all this on my iPad? You know. Uh, so uh, here's another one for you. Uh, they, they studied where um, a, a woman had gotten in a car accident. And, and she ran into another car, and the, the steering wheel hit her chest, uh, and, it, and it caused her to die. Well, she gave her heart to another uh, guy or girl or something. I forget what it was. And that person talks about having dreams uh, night after night, and they don't even know what happened to the person. They just know that uh, at this point, but shortly after the heart, the heart going in, they're still in, in ICU and recovery, and they have all these dreams about being in car accidents and where they can literally feel the impact of the steering wheel hitting their chest. Here's another one for you. Um, two more. Um, uh, a, a nine-year-old boy, I believe, um, lived on a lake his whole life. His parents had a pool and a lake in the backyard, well-off family, but he got very ill, and he, he needed a heart. Well, a six-year-old girl had been left in the same town there, had been left with her babysitter, and the babysitter wasn't paying attention. I forgot what she was doing, but uh, the, the six-year-old girl fell in the pool and drowned. And so they took the heart and gave it to this nine-year-old boy who had always loved water, who was always, every day he was either swimming in the lake or swimming in the pool, one or the other. And he didn't know what had happened to the little girl. They didn't tell him. But suddenly, when he came home from the hospital, 
to this day, he is deathly afraid of water. As a matter of fact, he's always going around to the back door and locking the back door. And he says that, that he can hear the little girl's words. And she's always saying, she, he says she's sad and he doesn't understand, she, she doesn't understand why parents would abandon their kids. Because the, the reason that she was with a babysitter is because the parents were getting divorced, and they were fighting, and they were going opposite ways, and they left her with a babysitter. And so she had felt abandoned. And this is what he's feeling. He had no idea what happened. One more for you. You okay? This is pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? One more for you. Um, a, a woman was walking down the street or whatever. I, I don't know all the details, uh, but she is murdered. They couldn't solve the, the case. In the process of it, they save her heart, and they give it to another lady. This lady, uh, after being in the hospital for a few days, starts dreaming or seeing what happened in her mind. She can literally see what happened. The police come in and start talking to her. Now, they did not know each other. She was not there. She was in the hospital dying when she received this heart. And, and as the report goes... Uh, this lady saw so many details of what actually happened in the scene that she helped the policeman solve the case. Now, again, this is new research. It's not been fully accepted by all of science. I'm just telling you that these researches line up with the Word of God. Because the Bible teaches very clearly we think with our hearts and with our minds. So why is that important? Why, why, is that, why is that important to us? Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. Have you ever been making a tough decision and you say something along the lines of, my mind says this, but my heart says something else? It's because you're thinking with two bit different parts of your body, your mind and your heart. Um, uh, but here, here's why it's important, because our mouths can betray us. Remember, our tongue is an evil thing. So sometimes we're thinking things in our heart, but we're not, they're not getting through to, our, to our, uh, our tongue because we take off speaking too quickly, right? And, and, and we're not allowing uh, what our heart really is. Have you ever uh, been talking with someone, you said some things that hurt them, and you said, listen, I know I said that, but I didn't mean it. That's not my heart. You ever said that before? Your mouth betrayed your heart. Um, let me ask you a question, and we'll go on to the last one. We're about to close. What would be better... To talk from the, off the top of our heads or to speak from the bottom of our hearts? Number three is to pray. Let's flip over there to Isaiah. We're going to read a few verses. We're going to close right here. I'm, I'm going to need about five more minutes. I'll go a little long today. I hope that's okay. Uh, if you need to sleep out, slip out, feel, feel free to. Isaiah chapter 6. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It stood, and above it stood seraphim. Each one had uh, six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and two he flew. Okay, so, so Isaiah is, is praying and, and worshiping, and he, and he gets this vision. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he sees these, these angels. Seraphim is the plural form of a, a word angel. Seraph is one. Seraphim is multiple angels. So he sees multiple angels here with, with, uh, with all these six wings on each of them. And, 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 and so he's seeing this vision, and one is crying to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And suddenly, Isaiah gets a realization. Oh, goodness, I am in the presence of God. 
This is the Lord high and lifted up. And he recognizes this. And immediately uh, he gets convicted. Watch. He says, woe to me, for I am, and, um, I am undone. He is convicted. But watch where he is convicted. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people. I live with people of unclean lips. And I, and I am undone. I can't control it. My mouth is out of control. I've tried. It's out of control. I can't stop it. And, and, but now my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Whoa. So he's praying and he's needing help from God. But, and, and he's seeing God, but he's saying, hey, listen, I'm convicted. Uh, you know, if you walked into the presence of God like he saw right here, if you walked into the throne room of heaven, conviction in every area of your life where sin is abounding, you would feel convicted just like that. And this is what's going on. He's saying, hey, man, listen, I am a sinner, and it starts with my mouth. This is Isaiah. This is, this is not, you know, uh, some, I mean, this is a prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah, who is much or more than anyone else in the Scripture uh, prophesied about the coming Messiah. This is a major prophet in the Word of God. And he says, woe to me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And the angel, verse 6 then one of the seraphim flew to him, having, his, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now, this is, this is a picture of Christ in the future, that, that through the sacrifice of Christ, notice the, the, the coal came from the altar. And so the altar is the place uh, which was a cross uh, for Jesus where he was sacrificed. And now, because of the redemption of Christ, we can go to God and pray and say, Lord, uh, I, woe to me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And through the power of Christ, he can reach down and touch our lips and cleanse our lips and our iniquity and our sin be purged and taken away. This is what's happening with Isaiah. Now that he's prayed and God has redeemed his mouth, let's look what happened in verse, verses, uh, verses eight, verse 8. And, and so, and now... He has this, as this coal is touching his lips, and the angel says, uh, your, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now, he's been hearing the angels. Remember, they're, they're the ones crying, holy, holy, holy. He hasn't heard God yet. Uh, but he saw God, was convicted, and the angel helped him out. And now he hears the voice of God, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? He wasn't ready to say yes until he had been cleansed. But now that he's been cleansed, God can say, who will go for me? Who will I send? And he says, here I am. Send me. And God said, okay, you're right. You've been cleansed. You've been purged. You're ready. Now, uh, go and tell this people Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And he goes on to tell them the word that he wants to tell them. But here is the principle. Isaiah recognized that my mouth is unclean. And I've got to go to see the king to get some help. And if I'll go and spend some time with the king, he'll cleanse my lips. And in the process, he'll cleanse sin and iniquity from my life. 
Because the mouth, the tongue, is inherently evil. When you wake up in the morning, your mouth wants to do evil. It wants to say evil things. Your mouth wants to sin. And if we don't take the time to pray. Listen, this needs to be a daily thing in our lives. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm coming before you. And, and I am undone. I, you know I can't tame this thing. I, can, I need, I'm relying upon you. So I'm praying, Lord God, that you would control my mouth today, that you would touch me, that you would cleanse. And, bef- and before I have a chance to sin with my mouth, Lord, cleanse me and purge it and take all the iniquity and the sin away and, allow, and that you can send me out to do your will in the world. Wonder how many good Christian people would love to be used by God, but God can't send us because our mouth hasn't been purged and cleaned. Would you stand with me today? <clears throat> I want to challenge you this year to bridle your tongue. Three ways, and there, there are more, but three we talked about tonight. Uh, to wait, to think, and then to pray. I want to challenge you to begin every day by praying to God, by spending some time and saying, Lord, touch and purge and cleanse my lips. How many received that challenge today? Let, let's pray. Father, we come to you today like, like Isaiah did so many thousands of years ago. And as we enter into your presence, Lord, I, I, I feel so convicted about the words that have come out of my mouth. Lord, cleanse my lips. I, I am a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Cleanse my lips today. Purge the sin from my mouth. Purge the sin and the iniquity from my life. And from those in this room today, Lord God, we're giving it to you. And we are asking you to, to cleanse us, to redeem our mouths, that you might use us, that we, we might be able to move forward and to, and to touch people around us, that you might use us and speak through us, that you might prophesy through us, Lord God. Cleanse our mouths today in the name of Jesus. We're coming to you. We're asking of you. We, want, we don't want our, our, our serving of you to be in vain, to be worthless, uh, but Lord, we want it to make an impact on this world. We want it to make a difference. Lord, use us today. We're coming to you I pray that you would challenge us to be reminded of this every day, to to wait, to think, and to pray. In the name of Jesus.